Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. On this 18th day of December, we are turning to Luke chapter 18 in our Advent reading. Whew, I'm going to encourage you to read the whole chapter, um, but let me jump to verses 15 to 17 right now. Jesus says, or actually Luke says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to have childlike faith? What does it mean to approach the manger of King Jesus as a child? What does it mean to recapture the wonder, the wonder of the advent of the Son of the living God? What what does it mean to gaze at the stars this Christmas? What does it mean to imagine the experience of the donkey and the sheep and the camels and, yes, the wise men and the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph. What does it look like for you this year as a child of God to approach God like a child? Let us have childlike faith this Christmas. Let us, as little children, come to Jesus. Next up, I've got a conversation with a dad and daughter duo that you don't want to miss, Andy and Amy Crouch. We'll be right back. delightful opportunity we have to talk to two people from two different generations. Andy Crouch is joining us again today and with us also his daughter, Amy Crouch. Andy and Amy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. So um, Andy, we talked to you in September of 2017 about something called the TechWise family. Let's remind our listeners about that, and then we will jump into a conversation with Amy about her new book. Yeah, so that was a book that I wrote that came out uh, three years ago now about how to put technology in its proper place in our homes, uh, how to make sure it doesn't rob us of the best parts of life together. And uh, I think all of us feel a little bit of uh, anxiety and uncertainty about how much room tech takes up in our homes and our family lives. And so that book was about that subject. And of course, it was based on raising two kids in a pretty... um, pretty unusual way, I would say, a kind of a tech minimal way for our family. Uh, and one of the kids who got raised that way was Amy. So she has now <laughs> written a book to tell you the kids version, the teenagers version of the experience. So Amy, welcome. You are a student at Cornell University studying linguistics and English. 
Um, and you have written a book, My TechWise Life. Um, so first of all, you're here, you're here as sort of evidence that uh, Andy's theories <laughs> uh, worked themselves out. <laughs> I guess so. Well, so talk with us a little bit about, um, because the, the subhead uh, to the book is growing up and making choices in a world of devices. But you grew up in, you know, as Andy has just said, a fairly tech minimalist home. And that didn't ruin you and it didn't um, prevent you from being successful as a student. So talk a little bit about um, maybe the way you grew up and then how that prepared you to make choices in a world of devices today. Sure. So as we were researching for the book, we found that there's a significant minority, about about one in three American kids, says that their parents have set some restrictions on technology um, in America. And this was definitely my experience um, in this kind of large minority of, of individuals whose parents decided to make some different choices about how they were going to use technology. For our family, the focus was um, essentially on using technology in a way that made us more connected to each other um, and to the world and avoiding the ways that technology can separate us from our community and from the world that we love. And so this looked like a lot of different steps, disciplines and practices, some big, some small. Um, we didn't have a TV until I was, I think, 12, something like that. But it actually didn't make very much of a difference in my life when we did eventually get the TV. Um, we never had video games in our house. Um, we never used any devices at the dinner table. We would take digital Sabbaths every week. And so it was a whole set of practices um, about trying to uh, not completely take technology away from me and my brother, but to um, just encourage us to use it mindfully and wisely um, in a way such that we were in control of our devices rather than letting the, the default settings, which Silicon Valley decided on, um, rule us. And I think for me, this kind of intentionality was really critical in growing up and having to, yeah, figure out how to live in the world. Um, I think because of the way that, that mom and dad raised me and my brother, I was really brought up to think, um, think creatively about how technology can influence our lives to both examine the ways that, um, the, that our phones and our computers um, can really make us more distracted, make us less connected with others, help us to hide things, and to try to relinquish those those problems, but also to um, to focus on something better and more interesting, what my dad likes to call, quoting the Bible, the life that really is life. Um, what would it look like if instead of... Um, instead of kind of bowing to our devices, we really tried to look around and love our communities, love the world around us in an embodied way. So I'm really grateful for, um, for that upbringing. And I think as I have slowly um, grown up into an adult, um, I've learned to think very carefully about what my devices are expecting of me and how I can choose to live in a way um, that values the world around me and doesn't try to minimize it. So, Andy, as you um, as you listen to Amy there, first of all, I'm imagining that your dad, your dad heart is swelling 
Um, the <laughs> first true. words, That's your true. first words um, in my TechWise life, which is the book co-authored by Amy and Andy Crouch, daughter and dad, growing up and making choices in a world of devices. Your first um, words in the book are actually a part of a letter. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so this so talk about the uh, the swelling of a dad's heart here. <laughs> it, it's so you're so right. I mean, uh, it is incredibly encouraging. I would say both with Amy and her brother Tim, to see them uh, having having grown up. I will say, raising kids in a tech wise way, there are awkward moments, and that's true of all parenting and all family. And so we've lived through a lot as a family, uh, inevitably. And yet, you do have these moments where you see, oh, it made a difference. It was different, and it made a difference. And to see our kids embracing, you know, I guess the right word is really intentionality about these devices. Like Amy said, there's so many default settings in our world that are just not that good for us. And to hear my daughter kind of working her own way through that. And then in the book, we kind of go back and forth and it's mostly her story. And then I write these short letters responding. And mostly what I get to do is just celebrate that she's now making her own choices, choices that we set some parameters for and some guidelines for when they were growing up. But now it's now it's their life to live. And we're really encouraged to see not just uh, not just our kids, but others making tech wise choices in a new way, I think. For those of you who are listening um, and you are uh, interested, I have copies to give away. My Tech Wise Life uh, by Amy and Andy Crouch. I've got copies available from Baker. So if you are interested, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you into the drawing of the copies for the copies that we have here in studio. we got to take a very brief break and then we'll be right back. Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and Continuing my conversation with Amy and Andy Crouch about their book, My TechWise Life, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. Really, Amy's testimony about what it was like to grow up in uh, in the Crouch TechWise family. Many of you will remember that book. If you're not familiar with the TechWise family, uh, let, me, uh, let me highly recommend that to you as well. It's going to provide the basis for understanding um, Amy's testimony about what it was like to grow up in that particular kind of house and household. Um, Andy, let me ask you a follow-up question. Um, and that yeah. is that is just simply about uh, your philosophy of parenting, because one of the things that you hmm. just alluded to is very much a philosophy of parenting conversation. And that is hmm. you know, like we're raising our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, raising, uh, you know, I guess my, my fundamental philosophy that that, sh that shaped the way we approach technology and many other things is that family is a, is a kind of school of being a person. It's a school of being human and ultimately a school of uh, God willing, uh, people uh, coming to know God uh, and, and joining the Christian story as well. And school is meant to form us. It's meant to shape us. And family is meant to shape us, all of us, not just kids. It's a school for the, it's kind of an unusual school because the parents are definitely learning just as much as the kids uh, and need to learn as much. And in the TechWise family, I talk about two of the, uh, the fundamental things we're meant to learn through family are wisdom and courage. Mm. And for both of these, I think when we reflect on what in, in our own lives has developed a certain amount of wisdom that is deep knowledge of ourselves and others and the world and God, 
And what's developed courage in our lives? I just don't think technology does that. Uh, tech can do a lot of things for us. It makes our lives easier in a lot of ways. But easy actually doesn't lead to wisdom and easy doesn't lead to courage. So this was why we felt that we had to be very careful about the place technology had in our family life because we don't want it to crowd out those moments that are often the hard moments where wisdom and courage are formed. So that was really the deep philosophy is we're all here, we're all in school together. I always say the TechWise, life, uh, TechWise family is not just about the kids, it's about everybody making different choices because often the parents actually are just as attached to their screens and their devices as the kids. And all of us have something to learn if we can learn a different way of living together. So Amy is a student at Cornell University. Um, she is one of the kids from the Crouch family. Um, and her new book, which co-authored with her dad, My TechWise Life, um, I want to just ask about those three words, tech, wise, or wisdom, and life. And Amy, just uh-huh. invite you to comment on any of those three. Yeah. Well, I I have to say that the word which is most important to me is well, I, I would say it's wise, um, although as wonderful as, as life is. Um, I think that growing up tech-wise, yes, it is it is in some ways about technology, but as Dad said, it's about so much more. It's about being wise, making decisions um, regarding our screens that help us focus on other people, help us to um, improve our own our own disciplines and grow closer to God. Those are all decisions which just make us wiser people. Um, and it's not really about uh, reducing screen time as it is about increasing our own wisdom. Mm. And I really believe that living in, in a tech-wise way is fundamentally about just trying to live in a way that is wise, living in a way that is seeking God um, and seeking to live out his calling for us. So for me, all of these decisions, and I I do include very practical tips in the book about specific ways to um, kind of break the, the hold that our devices have over us, but all of those practical decisions are about forming us into people who um, who receive God's good gift of wisdom and people who have that joyful curiosity to know more of the world God has created and to know more of what God has called us to do. So even as this is about um, life and about technology, I think that um, the tech wise life is fundamentally centered on wisdom. And if we are seeking wisdom, I think we will be richly rewarded with um, ways to deal with technology and ways to make our lives truly worth living. <laughs> so I've been um, I've been paying attention uh, recently to um, a program, I guess I guess I would call it a program called The Social Dilemma. Um, I have not watched all of it, but I am I'm mm-hmm. familiar with the content and uh, read a commentary recently um, about the concept of social media as a drug, um, a person mm. arguing that's just sort of the latest in, you know, rock music is a drug, TV is a drug, now social media is uh. a drug, the Internet is a drug. Mm. Um, but this was the but this was the observation made that I actually thought, wow, from a Christian and wisdom perspective might be worth talking about. Um, They said, um, we need solutions that address the demand for the addiction, not just whatever the current supply is. 
And oh, so, wow. yeah. So the, um, yes. I think, I think that's what you guys are, are seeking to offer, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about, this is not about, you know, taking away your kids' devices because the devices are evil. That's, <laughs> that's just not what the conversation is about. It is about yeah. um, cultivating an ability to make good choices in a world that offers a lot of bad choices. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, what I would say to that, one of the things I say over and over in this book is none of these problems are new. The solutions that technology yeah. offers are are certainly innovative, but we have always struggled with feeling lonely or insecure or bored. And those problems will will never go away. And technology is offering us all of these new snazzy ways to feel better about <laughs> ourselves, to feel more connected. But first of all, I don't believe that anything beyond the grace, the redemptive grace of God can really solve those problems. And even even in this broken world, there are better ways to approach those fundamental and very, very old points of pain. And so in some ways, what we're dealing with is very, very old. And we just have to see technology not as a way to make all of those problems disappear, but try to imagine it as um, only a, a sort of servant in our, our lives as we try to, um, yeah, seek that re- redemptive grace and throw off the pain and the sin that encumbers us. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, yeah, that's I'm good. wondering, yeah, she said a couple of times um, in our conversation today, actually early on, you know, Amy lifted up a, a piece of scripture, but she did so by saying, you know, as my dad often says, and then she <laughs> said later, as my dad said, as my dad says, um, <laughs> So there's a um, there's a soundtrack playing deep. It's deep, <laughs> right? Um, talk uh-huh. about the words that get into us and how mm. they get there um, and how that does provide uh, a soundtrack, even when your child is far from home um, in a mm. secular university dealing mm. with uh, very mm. different pe- people who are raised in very different ways. Um, talk, talk about the importance of that as a parent. Boy, that's well. That's a very astute observation. That uh, and actually, I would say, it's probably it's like probably like an iceberg. Probably the the visible part of what Amy may remember is what we said and phrases that we used. And we did we did drill a lot of things into our <laughs> into our kids' head. One of the things we said over and over was the only thing money can buy is bubble wrap. We kept telling mm. them, you know, the only thing money really gets you is insulation from real life, not the real thing. Um, there were so many things that we did try to repeat so that they would stick with our kids. But I think the iceberg um, and and this is a vulnerable thing to say because I'm not sure I did the the big part of the iceberg as well as the little visible part is is feeling it's emotion it's is was someone paying attention to me at key moments in my life both the joyful moments and the painful moments um, what resources did my did I see my parents turning to when they were sad lonely anxious insecure um, and so much of that is honestly out of our control as parents, really. I mean, it's so deep in us. It just comes out in who we are. And so it's very humbling. Uh, parenting is like, is the most, it's one of the greatest schools of humility. And and yet uh, we, we have to trust as we go through it that the Holy Spirit is at work. And this is actually where I, I hate to see us missing out 
on these mm. moments of mutual formation that can happen between persons, between parents and children. When, when you have the screen on, a lot of attention and a lot of energy gets diverted to that, whether it's the mm -hmm. stories of other people that you're following in whatever Netflix series you're watching or just social media following the lives of other people who are relatively distant from you. And I just feel like the home needs to be an environment where we minimize that and where we really are together. So, because these are very precious years, they're very short years. My daughter's off to college now. The years are done of me being able to really influence her in that way. Mm -hmm. And wow, I'm so glad I didn't waste a single minute more in front of a glowing rectangle instead of just in the presence of my kids. And, and I would hope for parents who are at, are at earlier stages to just have the courage in a way to believe if we turn off these devices, our kids will absorb things from us instead of from the devices and good things will happen for all of us. The book is My Tech Wise Life, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. Amy Crouch and Andy Crouch. I'm going to invite you to uh, visit Andy's website, andy.crouch.com. If you are interested in a complimentary copy, I've got a few to give away. You can enter that drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Andy and Amy, thank you so much for joining us today um, and, and sharing with us. It's just been a delight. Thank you, thank Carmen. Thank you. So great to talk. <laughs> All right. We're going to let the Crouches go, and we'll be right back. All righty. What's going on in the world, and how do you view it? We are going to... Walk around in the Weekend Worldview Reader with Dan DeWitt. It is posted at theolatte.com. A couple of, couple of parts of the conversation we're going to have. Um, he's got a piece on the sad gospel of Charles Dickens, which I find very intriguing, and how the incarnation explains the world. It's a reflection on C.S. Lewis's essay, The Grand Miracle. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bullying continues to be a serious issue in today's schools, but parents, you and I both know that it doesn't stop at the playground. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The sad truth is that bullying exists in the adult world too, in the workplace, at PTA meetings, at home, and sometimes even at church. But no matter what age, there's something that all bullies have in common. They're predators. They focus on a weakness they see in others and deliberately look for ways to exploit it. One way to undercut bullies then is to project confidence. Someone with their head down and shoulders slouched looks like a prime target. But someone who's standing tall, a bully's going to think twice before messing with them. If you or your child is the victim of bullying, remember this tip. Project confidence, not weakness. Sign up for Mark Gregston's weekly newsletter article or other free resources at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Joining me now, Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. You can find everything we're talking about this morning at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. So good to be back with you. So it's like the pre-Christmas weekend worldview reader, which really means we have a week to read it. <laughs> That's right. right. You have plenty I feel of time, like, yeah. I feel like people um, need some good reading material in the week of Christmas. I feel like there's more like sit by the fire with a cup of cocoa and read something. So 
Dan and I are going to first advocate that you read, um, you know, the opening chapters of the Gospels of Matthew Amen. and Luke, get the, yeah. get the Christmas story woven into uh, everything that you're reading. But Dan, um, remind people what you aggregate on the Weekend Worldview Reader, because I think that um, it's, it's not just things that you have written, although there is content there that's unique to you, but you aggregate other things that we, uh, we, we read as well. Yeah, so during during the week, I will like a number of articles that I see people um, post on social media. That's one of the main ways that I kind of organize material. And then at towards the end of the week, I'll take all those articles, I'll skim through them, I'll kind of weed out the ones that I, I don't think are that interesting or important. But the ones that are interesting and important from a Christian worldview, I'll include in the Weekend Worldview Reader. And that doesn't always mean they're written by Christian authors. So often I'll have articles from people who represent another worldview, and it's just helpful to see it um, and think about it. So, And then I'll include as well a um, book that I think is worthy of your um, attention, and then a video, because, you know, you need something kind of fun to just sit back mm-hmm. and watch and listen. So, Absolutely. Okay, so flash mobs of Ode to Joy. I've I've yes. just discovered them. They're actually several years old, but um, that's what I've been watching on YouTube lately. Okay, um, talk with us about the sad gospel of Charles Dickens. Yeah, so Charles Dickens, and of course, you know who who doesn't at some point um, enjoy the writings of Charles Dickens in one way or another, either directly or indirectly. So my kids don't really know of Charles Dickens per se, um, but they have seen Scrooge McDuck, who's influenced by Ebenezer. That's right. So, um, but Charles Dickens had written, and a lot of people wouldn't, might not know this. He had written a, um, kind of a paraphrase of the gospel and it for his kids. And so it's called the life of our Lord. Um, he wrote it during his children, um, between the years of 1846 to 1849, and um, he included in that some some prayers in the back, so a morning prayer, an evening prayer. And he ma- basically told his family, I never want this published. And so over the years, it passed hands, and that, that encouragement was passed along as well, don't publish this. Um, but shortly before Dickens' youngest child, whose name was Sir Henry Fielding Dickens, before he passed away, he passed the manuscript on to his wife. And he said, um, quote, being his son, I felt constrained to act upon my father's expressed desire that it should not be published. But I do not think it right that I should bind my children by any such view, especially as I can find no specific injection against such publication. And so he basically said, you know, he told me I couldn't publish it, um, but his grandchildren, that's another story. And so they published it. And what I wrote about this week is his sad prayer that Charles Dickens taught his children to pray. So I would love for you to read that prayer. Yeah, um, it was fascinating to find a copy of this book in a used bookstore and kind of thumb through it. And it's, it's, it really is powerful to see how Charles Dickens was trying to make very accessible for his kids the gospel. And so that part of it is extremely commendable. But one of the prayers that's for, for evening time um, goes as follows. O God, who has made everything and is so kind and merciful to everything he has made, who tries to be good and to deserve it. So God's good to people who try to be good and deserve it. And then he goes on in the prayer, God bless my dear Papa and Mama, brothers and sisters, and all my relations and friends. Make me a good little child and let me never be naughty and tell a lie, which is mean and a shameful thing. Make me kind to my nurses and servants and to all beggars and poor people 
and let me never be cruel to any dumb creatures. For if I am cruel to anything, even to a poor little fly, God, who is good, will never love me. And pray God to bless and preserve us all this night and forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So that's unlike scary, uh, particularly bad theology. Like it's, yes. I, mean, I, I recognize what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to encourage his children to, to, to behave well. But in terms uh-huh. of, of laying that on God as if—I I think it's a mischaracterization of, of who God is and how God loves us. Well, and, and how, how many people, sadly—and I think we all struggle with this to some degree—that God's love for us is contingent upon mm-hmm. our ability to perfectly treat everything and do everything, mm-hmm. including, you know, flies. And I, I just remember as a kid, you know, I would get a magnifying glass and go to town on, you know, the little ant colony outside our front door. And if this prayer were a true reflection of how we relate to God's love, I'm in big trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, the gospel um, is the exact opposite, that we nothing we do will merit God's love for us, but that God loves us, and it's unmerited. It's free, freely given through the sacrifice of, of Christ. So um, it's a sad gospel that he taught, even though he attempted to teach his children the story of Jesus, the application that he had for them, if, if this is how you believed you related to God, then none of us could ever um, it, receive his love. Yeah, and understanding what was going on in Dickens' day, understanding um, the realities of child labor, understanding um, how how awful life was for so many people. I do think that um, when we consider the time in which he lived and what was going on in the world, um, and if we if we understand uh, his view of things, it does help us better understand the things that he wrote. Uh, and then, you know, in, in our own day and time, you know, what would it look like for you and I, either one of us, to write a Christmas carol today? Like, what would that look like? What hmm. would that sound like? What would the images be that come forward? Uh, and, you know, what should be the song in our heart at Christmas? I, I guess I wonder, you know, as people are listening right now, you know, is there a favorite Christmas carol that you sing? Is there a carol in your heart this time of year? And is it Dickens' version um, or is it, you know, a more Matthew or Luke version, or is it a John version, or is it a Paul version or a Peter version? I mean, do you see where I'm headed, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I included a quote from Tim Keller in this that really it frames the way we should look at the gospel and think about Christmas. Keller writes, Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else, because mm-hmm. Christmas is telling you, you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. It is telling you that people who are saved are not those who have arisen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. Salvation comes to those who are willing to admit how weak they are, end quote. Hmm. Amen. All right, let's leave this conversation right here, Dan, and take a very brief break. When we come back, I want to talk with you um, about the reflection on C.S. Lewis's essay, The Grand Miracle. Uh, You can find it at theolatte.com in the Weekend Worldview Reader. It is How the Incarnation Explains the World. More with Dan DeWitt in just a moment. All right, continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. You can check out what we're talking about at theolatte.com. It's a part of this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. Uh, How the Incarnation Explains the World. Dan, how does the Incarnation explain the world? 
Well, this this essay that Lewis wrote, and I have a, included a sketch video that sadly I didn't do, and I say sadly because I <laughs> love what the person who does these videos has done. Um, but it came about, it's a chapter in a book by, called Miracles that Lewis wrote, and then he later it was published as a standalone essay. But it came in response to Dorothy Sayers writing C.S. Lewis a letter because she was annoyed with this atheist who just wouldn't leave her alone. And she told Lewis, I'm going to give him your address so he could bother you because you actually care about souls. <laughs> and so, mm. um, and which is what a wonderful compliment. And I, I'm sure that there was just some friendly banter going on. But in that letter, um, Dorothy Sayers lamented the fact that there weren't, there wasn't enough written on miracles, basically a critique of naturalism, the belief that no miracles can take place. And some, some listeners may be surprised to know that there are some people who believe in God who basically accept this view of naturalism, that there is a God, but that we live in a universe that God doesn't interact in. So Lewis set out to write the book Miracles, and in it, um, he's basically critiquing an atheistic worldview or a deistic worldview that there is a God, but God doesn't really care about us or interact with us. And what he says in, in that book is that the central miracle in the Christian faith um, is the Incarnation. And it's through the Incarnation that we actually can make sense of this human experience, the sense that there is a higher source, the fact that, you know, every um, survey seems to always illustrate that there is this overwhelming universal recognition that there's something that we want to worship, something beyond ourselves. But not only that, our sense that we somehow are displeasing this source of all things. As C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if there is a source of the moral law, he must hate most of what we do. And mm -hmm. so Lewis said the fact that God would come to us makes sense of the longing to know God, the recognition that we fall short of that, um, and yet the ability to actually know God through his, his son, Jesus. All right, I'm um, taking a couple of notes. Um, all of that, Dan, is... Um it causes us to pause. It should cause us to pause. Yeah. It should cause us to consider what do I really believe about God and and how is that acted out this time of year? Right? I mean, I I, I am bearing witness to what I really believe about God by everything that I yeah. say and do and decorate with and and sing and give and wrap and unwrap and place on a table like Every single act at this time of year, Christmas, is bearing witness to what I believe about the Incarnation. Like, that's that's um, something worth pausing on, pausing over. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's so fundamental to the Christian faith. Lewis said that, like many other religions, if you were to take out, you know, miracle claims, it wouldn't really affect that particular religious system. He said, but when you come to Christianity, it all hinges on whether or not this is true. And so Christianity really, in many ways, puts its neck on the line. Um, when it makes, when John, for example, in the opening verses of his gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, that's a certain theological claim that we really can't test. I mean, there are certain ways that that powerfully explains that the universe has design, that we trust our, our brain if we're the product of design. Um, so we can philosophically think about it, in the beginning was the Word, but when John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt mm -hmm. among us, that's a historical claim. 
And if true, it radically changes everything else. That means that there is indeed a God who loves us and is so good and kind that in the midst of our darkness, our depravity, um, our rejection of him, he stooped down, as Tim Keller said, the story of Christmas is we couldn't get to God, so he came to us, and that does change everything. Can we talk for a minute about doubt? Because I do think that this time of year, people who have genuine doubt, um, many of us who are Christians and don't doubt this, do not doubt that God took on human flesh to dwell among us, do not doubt that uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary, um, who don't doubt that angels were heard on high and declared this to angels, who don't doubt that uh, wise men from the East, magi from the East, who had uh, who had heard a proclamation from a guy named Daniel a long, long time ago mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and recorded that and passed it down generation to generation, saw a star and got on their camels and loaded up to go and bow down and worship the one who would be born Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Like for those of us who don't doubt those stories, who don't doubt the veracity mm-hmm. that God broke into human reality, um, what do we say to those who do doubt? How do we approach the doubters at Christmas? Well, you know, Christmas is such a great time to to share the story of Jesus. And to reference C.S. Lewis again, Lewis once said that the great challenge for us is to to make sure people understand that we don't believe in Christ because it's beneficial to our lives, um, although it is. Rather, we believe it because it's true. And so for someone who's doubting, I would say, let's be empathetic because this is a massive claim. Um, But it is a historical claim, which means that they can, among other things, begin to analyze it like they would any other historical event from the ancient world. And there's indeed a lot of evidence out there. Now, I would say when it comes to historical proofs for Jesus, and there are many, I mean, even Bart Ehrman, who's a a world-renowned critic of Christianity, Bart Ehrman published a book that the title of the book is Did Jesus Exist? And the answer to that question is absolutely. And Bart Ehrman goes on to confirm several of the historical claims in the Gospels. Bart Ehrman, of course, rejects that Jesus was God, um, but the fact that there was a person who was Jesus who did many of the things the Gospels claim are corroborated by other, you know, extra-biblical sources. So I would say, one, to be empathetic, to encourage people to look at the evidence, but ultimately I don't know, even though there's a ton of evidence, and I'll recommend one book, um, Is Jesus History?, by John Dixon is a great little book to introduce someone to this. Um, my my greater encouragement would be as you consider the historical evidences to just open the Bible and to begin reading I, what even what I mentioned earlier the Gospel of John and to pray two things. And so often when I preach and have the opportunity to speak to a, an audience where there would clearly be some people who don't believe, I'll I'll give this challenge: Would you read the Gospel of John and be willing? to just say a simple prayer, God, if you if you do exist, and I'm not sure you do, um, would you help me to understand what I read? And mm. my challenge is, if there is no God, and if this is just an old book, what's there to lose? Right. Oh, I love that. Okay, I, um, I am making note of that. So we're going to invite people to read the Gospel of John, and as they do, we're going to invite them to ask God, if you exist, will you help me to understand what I read? Dan DeWitt, yep. um, Thank you, as always, so much. Merry Christmas. Merry uh, let Christmas. Me di- let me direct people one more time to the Weekend Worldview Reader at theolatte.com. Uh, the video, 
I don't even know if it's in the Weekend World View Reader or if it's just posted on the website, um, but you uh, and Sam Albury talking um, is just precious. So thank you for that as well. Oh, I just love, I loved that. Thanks, Carmen. He's, he's, he's quite dear. All right, that's Dan yeah. DeWitt. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll talk with you again in 2021. Sounds good. Thanks, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, just one more reminder. I still have copies to give away of Amy and Andy Crouch's book, My TechWise Life. It really is excellent if you are raising the next generation of people. This is, I mean, it's so strange to say that this is a parenting book because it's written by a person who is in college. Um, but it, this is a great book, and uh, and we've got copies to give away. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of Amy and Andy Crouch's book, My Tech Wise Life. All right, one headline, uh, one quick headline before we go today, um, and um, and that is this. <clears throat> today, um, in fact, right now, uh, President-elect Joe Biden is at mass. Why? Well, because today marks the 48th anniversary of the death of his first wife, Nelia, and their daughter, Naomi. Um, and so if you are a person uh, prone to prayer... And if you are acquainted with grief, um, today might be a day to pray. Um, because we all know this kind of grief travels with us. It, it doesn't really ever go away. And so I just, um, I want us to be mindful of what's happening. These are real people. They live real lives. They've suffered real loss. Um, they have walked in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and it's important to um, to pray for one another, regardless of how we feel about one another's politics uh, or how things are working themselves out locally, nationally or globally. Um, we we pray for one another. And so spend a little time this morning uh, praying, praying for those uh, who have suffered grief and for the journey uh, of life. What is the uh, anniversary marked today in your life? Is it an anniversary of grace? Is it an anniversary of uh, salvation? Is it an anniversary of grief or disappointment? Let's be praying for each other today. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's where I'll leave things in this hour. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.